With the help of the Lord this morning, I want to talk to you about this thought, the clutter of the empty tomb. The clutter of the empty tomb. John chapter 20, if you would be so kind out of reverence to God's Word and stand to your feet. Beginning at verse 1, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runs and comes to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and said unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth. And that other disciple, which by the way was John, he never identified himself in his own gospel. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he stooping down and looking in saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying when the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw, and he believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead." Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. Pray with me this morning. Father, we come before you today. Thank you, my Lord, thank you for your presence and your spirit that is already so prevalent in this place. And I pray that your word would go forth, that it would touch the hearts and lives of every person in this room, every person watching online. God, minister your word through your servant most of all through your spirit. Let not this person be heard, but let the Holy Spirit be heard, ministering to our hearts and our lives. We give you glory and honor and praise for these things in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. God bless you. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. Sometimes words jump out at me. I shared a little bit about a word on Friday night for our Good Friday service. But have you ever heard the term oxymoron? Most of us here know what that means. Uh, I'm intrigued by oxymorons. Uh, it's when you kind of take two words, put them together. Sometimes they stand by themselves. Sometimes they're in a sentence. But, you know, when you really look at them, they, they really don't belong together, but they're, we put them together anyway. They seem to be contradictory of each other. I find them intriguing. I find them even humorous. Uh, for example, when I'm sitting down and I hear my wife say at Red Lobster, I want an order of jumbo shrimp. Jumbo shrimp. Or have you ever made this statement? These are tight slacks. Uh, here's a real good one, tax return. 
Somebody either says amen or oh me right there. This one always gets me, and I know all of y'all have done it. I'll confess I've done it once or twice. Looked at a person over the course of my 56 years, maybe before I met Jesus, and I said, they're pretty ugly. Those two words really don't go together, do they? <laughs> alone together? We're finally alone together. Uh, working vacation. Did you know oxymorons, paradoxical statements are even found in the Scripture? If you look in the Bible, you can find a couple of them. I'll give you a couple of quick ones. You can, you can be free by becoming a servant. That's a paradoxical statement. And yet, it's a statement that came from the Lord. Jesus said in one place, you can find life by giving it away. It's a paradoxical statement, and yet, it has eternal truth to it. And so, the title of this message this morning seems to have some, some paradox, some oxymoron in it, some contradictory words, the clutter of the empty tomb. I want to say to you emphatically and without reservation, there is an empty tomb. I have visited that tomb twice, most recently being March of 2020, and I can assure you there was no body present in that tomb. I walked in, I looked around, and he was not there. Why? Because he is arisen, and he is alive forevermore. But this morning, for a few moments, I'd like to tell you about the clutter that was left in the empty tomb. The first thing I want to tell you today is that death lay defeated in the empty tomb. We look in the narrative in front of us and we see Mary Magdalene coming while it was yet dark to the tomb. And when she arrived, she did not find the body of her Lord she had gone to anoint the dead, not realizing that he could not be holden by the bands of death. She had come to a victim, she thought, who had fallen beneath the, the knife of his foes as a lamb led to the slaughter. She was not aware that he was the high priest on the verge of entering the most holy place on her behalf. She came for the vanquished, but she failed to understand that he was not the vanquished, but in fact he was a victor over principalities and powers of hell itself, and that the keys of Hades and, and the grave were hanging at his side while the serpent Satan was bruised beneath his feet. When she came, she thought she had come to place the final touch on a sad life with a hopeless future, having no idea that on that morning a new life had been inaugurated which was endless and indissoluble. I remember reading in the Old Testament when God prophesied and predicted in the book of Hosea and said these words, O death, I will be your plague. He said, O grave, I will be your destruction. And I want to tell somebody this morning that on that first Sunday morning, that Easter Sunday morning, death lay defeated in the tomb of Jesus. We see Mary as she goes and she tells Peter and John, about the body of the Lord missing. And watch what happens. I, I find this to be fascinating. The scripture says that Peter, who was much older than John, and John being the younger, they both started running to the tomb. And at first they ran together. But until John the younger decided, I'm not going to wait for old man Peter anymore, so I'm going to outrun him. 
And so he ran further, excitement and adrenaline. He gets to the mouth of the tomb, but when he gets there, he kind of hits the brakes. And he kind of hesitates to go in. He says, I don't know if I want to go inside this tomb or not. Maybe it was fear that caused him to pause at the mouth of the empty tomb. Well, here a few minutes, no doubt, comes by. Here's old Peter. It took him a lot longer to get there uh, than John did. But when he got to the entrance of the tomb, while John hesitated, Peter walked right into the tomb. He didn't hesitate whatsoever. He, and I, I've asked the question, I wonder why did John hesitate? And why was Peter, the elder of the tomb, so quick to go in uh, and, and then this thought hit me and I believe it was from the Holy Spirit and, and I just want to stop here and, and I want to say to the older Peter generation in this room today, there are plenty of a younger John generation that are around us and they may run faster and they may have much more enthusiasm than those of us who have been in this Christian walk a lot longer, but I'm telling you, these days with all this foolishness that is abounding that waters down the gospel and the crucifixion and the resurrection often this younger generation they stand there at the mouth of the tomb and they peer in and they wonder and they ponder and they question and they debate and they speculate and they're so easily led astray through much knowledge and an anti-God culture the John generation is in un with information and ideologies and philosophies that lack absolute truth. There is a new age mindset, multiple ways to God, ideas that is sweeping across our land and even into the Christian generation. But can I tell you, this is where we need the folks of the Peter generation to come along and not hesitate and walk in and march forward. They may be a little more gingerly. They may walk a little more slowly, but yet they still must proclaim the lordship of Jesus Christ. Peter generation, now is not the time to back into the shadows of your golden years. We are awaiting your move. We are standing on your shoulders. Put the megaphone to your lips to this exciting and impulsive generation coming behind you that can outrun you and sometimes lacks clarity in their values. Make sure, Peter generation, that you say and shout with assurance that the resurrection is for real. Jesus is alive and death lays defeated on the tomb. We read in the verses today that strips of cloth laid in a pile while the head wrap had been placed in another part of the tomb by itself. This week I was wondering about that in verse 7 about the grave clothes. I mean, think about it. If friends were going to hide the body of Jesus, they would have carried the body out wrapped up, would they not? If they were trying to hide the body of the Lord. If thieves were going to steal the body of Jesus, they wouldn't have taken time to unwrap the body of Jesus. But the grave clothes, they were left in the tomb. You may ask the question, why were they left? 
Well, I like what one writer said. He said that when Lazarus was resurrected by Jesus sometime earlier, after four days of being dead, he came forth in his grave clothes. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. And why is that? Because Lazarus would in fact die a second time. He'd need those grave clothes one more occasion in his future. But not so with Jesus. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8, he said, I am he that lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of hell and of death. That's why he left the grave clothes behind. He wasn't going to need them anymore. That's why he cluttered the crown of the empty tomb in two separate places because no grave clothes were going to hold him in. He came out alive, and he is alive forevermore. Death is broken. Death is destroyed. Death is left powerless on the floor of the tomb the day Jesus rose again. Now there, there is you an oxymoron. Jesus and death in the same sentence. The great D.L. Moody, a great preacher of the gospel from years back in his early ministry, he was preaching one of his first funerals as a minister, and so he thought, you know what, what better way to find out how to preach a funeral than to go to the Gospels and see how Jesus preached his funerals. But when he went to the Gospels, he found out Jesus never preached a funeral. <laughs> well, praise the Lord now. Jesus is life. And when life walks in, death has to walk out. E. Stanley Jones, who's a Christian missionary to India, he was debating with a Muslim one day. And the Muslim pointed out, you go to Jerusalem, and there are two locations that both claim to be the tomb of Jesus. And the Muslim looked at the missionary, Christian missionary, and said, how sad it is for you Christians that you don't even know where your prophet is. Missionary Jones said quickly, it's worse than that. We don't even have a body. Woo. Oh, praise the Lord. Death is defeated inside of the empty tomb. Praise the resurrected Jesus Christ. Not only did death lay defeated on the floor of the empty tomb, but secondly, religion lays lifeless in the empty tomb. Hmm. I'm not talking about denominationalism. I'm not talking about Baptist and Catholic and, and Methodist and Church of God. I'm talking about ritualistic, dead, dry, shank bone religion that has creeds and practices that bring no transformation or change to a person's life. Social events that turn a church into a community center. 
rather than a soul-saving station that has revival fire. I mean, you walk into some liturgical churches today and you wonder if the preacher or the music director are alive, much more Jesus Christ. Formalism. Traditions of men have taken over the message of the church. And the letter has killed rather than given life. But I'm here to preach to you that if you let one good dose of the spirit of the resurrected Christ get inside of that coffin box religion, then what you will begin to see is a group of believers that will turn the community upside down. It's called the spirit of the resurrected Christ. Y'all out there this morning, it's called the spirit of the resurrected Christ. Now I know I've got guests all over this place and you're here for the first time and maybe this is your first time in a Pentecostal church and maybe you've already come to this conclusion that all of this is not necessary. Uh, drama and clapping and raising hands and shouting. I've come by to tell you something. This ain't hype. This ain't emotionalism. You see, part of religion's problem is that it boxes in the resurrected Lord, his ministry, his worship, his preaching, and his spirit. Can I just stop here and tell you, Jesus had more problems with religious people than he did with demons. Religion, oh, Pastor, I was just hoping I was going to have a calm moment, reflect on Jesus, and then go have my Easter egg hunt and a large family meal. I wasn't expecting all of this. Religion will try to box us in. But here's something you need to hear. Romans chapter 8, 8 and verse 11, listen to what it says. It said, if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell inside of you, and he does, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body. Y'all all mortals? Ain't none of y'all immortal, are you? He shall quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. What does that mean? That means that the resurrected Jesus is living inside of me. That means that the same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead on the third day is the same spirit that causes me to shout and clap and jump and lift my voice and rejoice in the Lord. And I refuse to apologize for it. I don't have religion. I have a relationship with a resurrected king who is alive forevermore. Mm. Did you know I've been doing this 29 years this September. So this is my 29th Easter. Did you know for a pastor, that one of the toughest days to preach is Easter. I'm going to tell you why. Because the atmosphere can be inundated with religion and indifference and apathy and a fog tries to settle in over the congre congregation. Let's just check the box. Let's just satisfy the family. 
by the authority given to me in the name of Jesus, I command you to be loosed of your dead religion and may today be the day that you are no longer dead in trespasses and sins, but you become men and women and young people that have left religion lifeless in the tomb and you now live in the spirit of the resurrected Christ. My God! Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I'm tempted to say, ushers, go guard the doors. Don't let them get away. But I'm not going to do that. There was some clutter left in that empty tomb. Death lay defeated. Religion lay lifeless. Third thing I want to tell you is that humanism lays dumb. That's a dual meaning, by the way. Dumb or mute in the lifeless tomb, in the empty tomb. You see, the wheels in man's minds are always turning, always thinking, always searching, believing every little thing that comes along. Our school system and our college institutions have secularized students. That's not the only place. Media, the information age, the sports world, movements that come along, come and go. People don't realize they're being fleeced. What happens is we begin to justify and rationalize and look to bring conclusions of logic that have no basis of faith. Humanism has always existed. Let me, get, let me give you some, some uh, worthless, worthless humanistic rationales of that day. They probably could have been used, probably were used. Here's one about the resurrection. Oh, he's not there. Because he really didn't die on the cross. He was battered and bruised and beaten and speared. And then he just passed out. They placed him in the coolness of the tomb. And in the coolness of the tomb, he revived. He revived enough to push away a two-ton stone and overpower Roman soldiers. Seriously? How about this one? The women went to the wrong tomb. Now, that's a good one. They went to the wrong tomb guarded by soldiers who had passed out from fear. How ridiculous. Or how about this one? His enemies stole his body and hid it 
And in only a matter of weeks, this band of disciples were going to turn the world upside down, preaching and doing miracles in the name of Jesus, a resurrected body. Now, don't you think his enemies would have produced his body to say it was a hoax? But they never produced a body. And there was no humanistic, logical explanation. Humanism lays dumb or mute in the empty tomb. And let me just say this boldly. Humanism is dumb, period. Hallelujah. If you go to Buddha's grave, you're going to find his bones. You go to Confucius' grave, you're going to find his remains. You go to Muhammad's grave, and his DNA will be there. But you will not find the body of Jesus. And I want to tell someone in this house today, no matter what the culture is saying, no matter how the times have shifted, don't allow humanistic theories to cloud your mind today. Quit trying to figure it out. Quit listening to voices of so-called logic that are simply pawns in the devil's hand to keep your eyes blinded. Oh God, let the scales fall off of people's eyes today to see the true resurrected Jesus. Let me just refute humanism in the 21st century with a few brief statements. Hello, you are not your own God. Hello, there are not many ways to God. I don't care what Oprah says. You better wake up. Tell you another one. Hello. I like to put hello in front of it. It's not any old way you want to live and everyone at the end of days gets to go to heaven. You listen to this preacher. More importantly, you listen to the word of God. The resurrected Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Or it's too late. Open your eyes of faith. Leave your humanistic, secularistic ideas behind. You can rationalize and justify all day long. But one day, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that the resurrected Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I'm going to tell you, I'm glad, Wayne, that I bow my knee voluntarily here before I'm forced to do it there. You mad, preacher? Maybe a little bit. I'm mad at the devil. Because he's deceiving a lot of people, especially this John generation. And you know I'm preaching the truth. Slough it off. Say, no, nah, he's just, he's a little pigeonholed. He's a little old-fashioned. 
He's a little too narrow-minded. Can I give you one more? I'm going to anyway. Death lay defeated in the empty tomb. Religion lay lifeless in the empty tomb. Humanism lays dumb and mute in the empty tomb. And then finally, materialism lays helpless in the empty tomb. Why do you seek the living among the dead? To some in the room, may I ask, why do you insist on seeking for things, life in things that clearly are dead? I mean, we're checking our wallets, our purses, our stock accounts, our gold bar investments, and now our cryptocurrency. Listen, it's like returning to the clutter of the empty tomb. Oh, if I can just get more. More income, more prestige, more nicer things. Several years ago, us of the Peter generation, remember who wants to be a millionaire? Good old Regis. Oh, he's a nice guy. He'd host contestants who would covet the big million. Then we went to Howie Mendel. We watched him give away money for dreams from cases with lucky numbers. Billions of dollars are dropped on lotteries looking for peace. <laughs> if you caught it, America's Got Talent Extreme. People doing deadly stunts just to win $500,000. And the question was asked, what would you do with that money? Oh, it would change my life. No, wouldn't you want more? How many live as if more money will be the answer? I want more. I have to have more. Give me more. Wait a minute, I'll contact my psychic and see if more is coming. You'll like this. The meeting of the psychic advisors has been canceled due to unforeseen circumstances. Some of y'all will get that over lunch. More money, more material things. I'm telling you, cancel the psychic. More may not be coming, but I will tell you who is coming, and his name is Jesus Christ. He's about to split the eastern sky and call his bride home, and I want to be ready. Jesus said, what? What will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? You're looking for the living. You're looking for living among, among the dead. Death is defeated. On the ground of the empty tomb. Religion is lifeless on the ground of the empty tomb. Humanism lays dumb and mute in the empty tomb. Materialism lays helpless on the floor of the empty tomb. 
I'm going to close with this. A man was dying, a prominent man, a wealthy man, a materialistic man. He was dying in his extravagant home. He had the best doctors surrounding him. And in his despair, all he could cry out was, I'm leaving home. I'm leaving home. Across town at the same moment, a little godly woman laid at the point of death with radiance on her face. She said with her last breath, I'm going home. I'm going home. What was the difference between the two? Very simple. She knew the resurrected Jesus as her personal Savior and Lord. Why seek ye the living among the dead? He shed his blood this past Friday, 2,000 years ago. He shed his blood for every single one of you. I don't deserve to be saved. I don't deserve to be delivered. Every one of us in here are undeserving. That's why the scripture says, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The shed blood is for every single one of you here. I pray this will minister to your heart.
darkness into glorious light. You took my place, laid inside my tomb of sin. You were buried for three days, but then you walked right out again. And now death has no sting, and life has no end. For I have been transformed by the blood of the Lamb. Thank you, Jesus, for Would you bow your heads all over this room? Please, just give me another moment or two.
You've heard the songs. You've seen the dramas. You've heard the word. You're not here by accident. You're not here by coincidence. And your time is running out. Say, preacher, if the rapture took place today and God called his church away, which he's going to do, one of these days the, the bride of Christ is going to be caught up in the clouds. We're going to meet the Lord in the air. And those that are not right with God are going to be left behind to face seven years of horrible tribulation that's coming upon this whole earth. The signs of the times are already in place. They've already been fulfilled. There's not one prophecy left to be fulfilled before Jesus comes. You'd say, preacher, I'm not ready to go. Or maybe today you'd say, if I left this place, there's an appointment that's on God's calendar for every person, every man, every woman, every young person. The scripture said, it is appointed unto man once, once to die. And so on God's <clears throat> divine calendar, there is an appointment for every single soul in this room. It could be today. And here's my question. My question is, are you ready? Are you ready to meet your creator? Are you ready to face Jesus? You say, preacher, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm just not sure. Some would say, definitely, I am not ready to go. I am not ready I live my life as if I've got 40 years. And yet the mausoleums and the cemeteries are filled with headstones of children and young people and young adults and middle-aged adults and senior adults. People from all different walks of life and different ages. In the Southwest Times here in the Patriot here, we read of obituaries and sometimes I pause when I see the age of the person right here in our county that went out early. So while no one's looking around, no one's moving around, let me just ask you to be honest. My eyes will be the only one that sees your hand. Everyone else is being reverent right now. But you say, preacher, I'm not ready. I'm just not ready. I know I'm not ready. Would you just raise your hand and hold it up? Raise your hand and hold it up. Come on, I know you're in here. I see, I see a couple of hands going up. Is there others? Maybe you say, I, I, I'm not sure I'm ready. I'm not sure that I'm ready. If today was my last day, I'm not sure that I'm ready. You know, it's the bottom line. It's either going to heaven or going to hell. It's simple as that. It's never changed. It's always been that way. The people that know Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord, the Bible says to be absent in the body to be present with the Lord. But when the rich man died in the Gospels, who had not trusted God, the Bible says in hell he lifted up his eyes. And so it's very simple. I'm not playing games with you today. I'm not here to, to just make you feel good. I'm, I'm very burdened for your eternity. You'd say, preacher, I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure I'm ready. Would you just raise your hand? I promise you, I'm not going to call you. I'm not going to embarrass you. God bless that hand. More hands are going up. I've seen two more. Is there others? Another hand. Five, six hands have gone up. Seven hands have gone up. 
Today can be the day. You may lower your hands. Thank you for being honest. Today can be the day. Today can be the day. You say, well, I don't, I've never been a Christian. I don't know how to be saved. It's very simple, very simple. It's so simple that, that a, a, a young person, a child can, can become a Christian. Well, what do I have to do, preacher? Well, this is, it's very simple. You just say, say, Jesus, number one, I'm a sinner. I'm lost without you. And number two, I, I believe what you did on the cross was for me personally. And I want you to come into my heart. I'm tired of the life that I'm living. I'm tired of the life that I'm living. And so I'm going to ask again, several of you that raise your hands, I'm going to ask you one more time while no one's looking around, would you like to pray that prayer today, this moment, today? Would you like to see Jesus make a radical change in your life? I'm going to ask you one more time to raise your hand today, today. Raise them up, hold them up. Hold them up. All right, you may lower them. We're going to pray with you. We're not going to single anyone out. Now, when we're done praying this prayer, sometime this afternoon, you that raised your hands after you pray this prayer. Now, part of part of salvation is believing in your heart, but it's also confessing with your mouth. It's, it's, telling, it's telling some people, you know what? I gave my heart to Jesus today. I became a Christian today. And that's on you to do. Maybe you say it to the preacher when you're leaving. Maybe you say it to the person you came to church with. I want everybody in this room, including those that raise their hands, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I come to you right now. And I am a sinner. And I need a Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I accept you as my Savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How about a church family? Six people gave their heart to the Lord. Sitting right there. Come on, come on. We can do better than that. Stand to your feet. Let's join the angels in heaven and give God our highest praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank God for salvation. I'm going to go back to what I said when I opened, but I'm going to put it in the right order. Thank God I'm saved, and thank God I'm alive. It's a great Easter Sunday, isn't it? Rick, come, would you, and pray a prayer of favor and blessing over us. God bless you with a great Easter. Just remain standing for our closing prayer. Lay your hands with me. Lord, we thank you for today. God, I pray that we not forget what today is about, Lord, as we can leave here and go home and be with our families, God. Thank you so much for giving yourself for us when you didn't have to, Lord. God, I pray that you be with everybody here as they go home. In the name of Jesus, amen.